Welcome to the Art School Podcast. I'm Ken Goshen. Today I'm speaking with Josh Clare. Josh is a fantastic painter and the first Art School guest focused on landscape work. So lots of valuable insight here for all you plain airsters. Josh is the recipient of numerous awards, including Artist Choice at the 2012 Laguna Plain Air Invitational and second place in the Rainmar 6 Annual Painting Competition. In 2014, Josh was featured for three consecutive months in several of the nation's finest art magazines, Western Art and Architecture, Southwest Art, and Art of the West. This conversation was super fun and informative, so I'm sure you'll greatly enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of my Patreon supporters, and especially my top supporter, Rick. I am on a mission to make extremely affordable, high-quality art education available to anyone who seeks it. And if you feel like this is a cause worth supporting, you can do that at patreon.com slash By pledging just $2 of support, you'll be invited to six upcoming live painting demos. That's less than 20 cents per live painting hour. Not to mention all the video content that's also available for that same $2. The only way I can continue offering all of this at such infinitesimal cost is if many more of you decide to become $2 Patreon supporters and make it sustainable. You can do that at patreon.com slash Ken Goshen. And my sincere gratitude to those of you who've already joined. And now I bring you my conversation with Josh Clare. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. So... I'm I'm super excited to have you here because I'm I'm a really big fan of your work. As we said just a moment ago before we started the recording, I'm I'm a huge fan of that portrait back there, and uh, we're going to get to talking about those. Uh, but first, maybe bring us into what made you decide that you wanted to be an artist. Uh, you know, it was always part of me, and I didn't. You don't really see it clearly until later. Mm. So I think art was almost a non-option. Honestly, I just had to do it. Something in the arts, you know? Mm. So it might've been, well, it was probably college. So I didn't have any real art training through high school. Um, and when I went to college, it, I served, a, I served a mission in Japan. Mm. And so my whole focus was on like two years that was going to be spent in Japan. And I had like a semester of college before my mission and it felt, uh, it felt like a throwaway semester or just like, like I could do whatever I want that semester. So, um, I, I, I declared art as my major kind of on a, I don't know, all the career tests said do it. So I was like, okay, I might as well, Mm. you know, major in art. So, um, Anyway, but that semester I had, I had so much fun and had so much joy in creating so that when I came back from my mission two years later, it was, uh, I just, I knew that I had to find something in the arts to do. Just to make sure that I, that I understand what kind of, what kind of mission are we talking about? Just so that I'm up to speed. Uh, yeah. So a mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So a missionary. Yeah. Like, um, 
yeah, so I learned Japanese and I taught about Jesus Christ for two years in Japan. <laughs> oh my God. And you were painting while you were up to doing that? No, no. Like I hadn't even painted at that point, actually. I didn't paint until college. And so it was, I came home and took my first painting class like a year after that. Wow, that's amazing. And would you say that your time, the time that you spent in Japan had any kind of influence on your artistic output later? Like, like the, that, that kind of the aesthetic? Yeah, exactly. Japanese aesthetic, because it's very different from what we were used to getting here in America. It is, yeah. And I think so. I think my love of clean, simple design came from the gardens that I walked through and the mm. architecture and just the way that they... <clears throat> the way that their art, you know, generally is and the way that they think it was, I loved it though. It's a very, very beautiful place and beautiful people. Well, I've, I've never been, but uh, it's definitely on my to-do list. It's, 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 I, and I love how you describe it. It is indeed about simplicity, clean design, simple lines. And this is, this is really something that's totally evident in your work. So it's, it's really, really interesting to hear that connection. When you started, right. when you started painting, um, who would you say were like your most influential teachers, uh, whether it's like people who are living or people, people that you just kind of looked at their work and tried to emulate? Right. Um, so at school, I went to BYU-Idaho and Leon Parson was the head of the department there. And just, I feel like everything that I, that I know about painting came from Leon, just all the beautiful fundamentals, all those truths that, you know, 10, late, 10 years later, uh, I'll be painting and think, oh yeah, Leon was trying to teach me this 10 years ago, you know, like, wow. he said this, he said this over and over and over and I understood it then, but um, it makes more sense the longer I paint. So uh, yeah, Leon was key. And yeah, I, there were a lot of actually really great teachers there. Um, it was a really, really good art school back in those wow. days. And I just got super lucky with, I mean, my graphic design teacher, Scott Franson was fantastic and illustration, Wade Huntsman and Gerald Griffin and um, Scott, like just all of the art classes were fantastic. Watercolor, everything was cool. Wow. Okay. That is, that is a very unusual answer in today's landscape because uh, from the majority of people that I, that I speak with, and even from my personal experience, a lot yeah. of today's art academies, art schools, art universities are not totally focused in instilling the kind of principles that you bring to bear in your work. If I, if uh, so, right. so would you would you say that that art school is different uh, from other art schools? And and if so, what do you, what do you think is the reason for that? Um, very different. Yeah, it was super unique, especially at the time. Right, this was I graduated in two thousand seven, so it's become more common for an atelier or even a university to offer more traditional art courses. Um, but it was, it was highly unusual back then. And, um, <laughs> yeah. So, and the funny thing is it's not an art, it's not an art school at all. It's a, it's just a traditional university. It had been just a two year university and had, um, like when I attended before my mission, it was two year. When I returned, mm. they had changed things and they'd been accredited to become a four-year university. Mm. So small and it's a church-sponsored university, right? Mm. It's like it, 
it's out of the way. That's part of it. I think it was, I think it, it may have been more traditional because of the um, traditional religious influence mm. on the school, but kind of as an interesting side note, things have changed up there too. Like Leon has moved on. Most, most of the instructors have moved on um, or retired. And so their, their program has become a little bit more like, like the rest of the programs across the country, right? A li- mm. Definitely weak, weaker, in my opinion. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. That, um, is, that is unfortunate to hear, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the way that this is uh, probably, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that this would be connected to the, to the traditional view of uh, religious institutions because the, the relationship between church and art is very, it's, you know, it's longstanding. And, and right. I totally could understand that if, uh, if the institution was in some way supported by religious institutions, they would have more of an appreciation to the kind of classical way of, of creating visual arts as, as opposed to uh, I don't want to be derogatory in any way, but uh, making a performance art piece where we go scantily closed in, you know, outside and, yeah. and, and promoting some kind of cause. So did you, right. did you feel throughout your studies uh, this, kind of, this kind of connection to uh, an older way of, of, of looking at visual arts? Because, because when, I was, when I was at Parsons, you know, painting of the kind that you and I make seemed to need a whole lot of justification for just engaging in because it seemed so yeah. passe and so, and so on, right. you know, to, to, like non-contemporary. Uh, did you have right. a totally different experience? It was, it was like the garden of Eden. It was fantastic. Um, and I think the philosophy of, of Leon, the department head and, and it trickled down to everybody else was this isn't a place to indoctrinate kids about what art should be or to try to focus on the theory of art or ideas about art. I mean, we talked about that. We had plenty of art theory classes and stuff like that, but it was not the focus. um, His idea, which I think is an extremely sound, beautiful idea is let's just teach them how to paint and then they can worry about why they paint and what they paint and all that stuff later. Let's like, I think that's where, almost every other institution goes wrong is they focus almost solely on what we should be painting and the ideas we should be expressing and all of that stuff. Um, when they should just be teaching people how to paint, like it's a gross, gross, it's a crime really to fail to teach people how to make stuff and to focus on why they should make stuff. Right. It's like, I don't know. It's like teaching a writing class and saying, we're not going to talk at all about any logistics of writing. We're just going to talk about ideas. Like what, what about the craft, what about the craft of writing? What the flip, right? Yeah. 
So I don't know why we do. We do pretty well in almost every other artistic discipline. We have to teach people to play instruments before we talk about what they're going to play, right? Um, but in art, we feel like, oh, we can skip that. Who cares? Yeah. We're not, we're not going to teach you how to make stuff. We'll just teach you why to make stuff. And anyway, fascinating. So we, I just lucked out, really, really lucked out. I went to a very special place where they taught me how to make things. And then they said, you know, it was implied. They didn't even talk about it. It was like, you know, go figure out what to make and why you want to make it later. But here's how to make a painting, you know? So for everybody who's been listening to this podcast for a while, they know that I'm 100% on your side. And I'm, I love the way that you say it. And I even love, I love even more the opportunity that I have right now to play devil's advocate, because it seems like you're a, you're a great, you're a great representative of this position that I hold. But for the sake of argument, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try something. So what yeah. if we give them grace, these academies, and, and, and we come from this point of view and we say, listen, when you look at the most successful artists alive today, none of them mm -hmm. can paint, none of them can draw, none of them can sculpt. You know, they're all, they're all employing vast networks of craftsmen um, and everything that's really important and, and, and everything in their work that has led to their massive, massive, massive success was their ideas It was their ability to articulate these ideas. It was their abilities to contextualize their work within a contemporary environment. So right. if, that's, if that's what we see at the top of the art field, wouldn't it be irresponsible for these academies to focus on teaching their students craftsmanship? The craftsmanship, right. And I guess it all hinges upon your definition of success, right? They're massively successful in terms of they make a lot of money, like a lot of money. And I don't know, would you even say in terms of popularity or famous, that they're famous, like people in the right circle know them. I actually don't know really who's at the top of the, the modern art heap right now. I don't really know. I don't follow it. And I'm a professional artist, right? So, <laughs> so but they're famous. There's a certain degree of, there's fame that comes with that. So money, fame, um, <laughs> And that would be, what else would you include in that? That's about it. Huh? That's um, I, would, I would say, I mean, something, I, I agree with you that, that this is really about a definition of success. So I'm going to insert something that I totally value as a definition of success, which is uh, they show in the big museums, mm, okay, which is right. something I, so I would, I would cool. want that. That's a good point. So they're accepted by like the, the large institutions and the mm -hmm. people who have lots of power. So maybe that's it. Like, so um, lots of money, uh, fame and power, a certain mm -hmm. amount of power because they're recognized as by the large institutions or the people who have, have the say as this is a guy that matters. Um, but yeah, I guess my argument against that would be for me, success is something totally different. I do want The only thing that I want, I mean, those are all nice, right? Money, fame, and power, that's good stuff. I wouldn't mind some of that myself, but especially the recognition for an artist, like the validation of a museum purchasing a work and saying, this is important to art, right? Like that's something that I think all artists crave. Um, but apart from those three things, the thing that matters more than anything to me is making a thing that matters. 
just by itself, apart from me and apart from what the institutions say is valuable and apart from how much people pay for it, apart from everything, I want to make a thing that is meaningful, very deeply, inherently meaningful, and that matters now and that matters for a really long time. Mm. Um, so like a, a novel, a timeless novel, a classic, right? That would be the equivalent in literature, not just, not just like a, a fatty self-help book that like sells 20 million copies and then everyone tires of very quickly and is easily forgotten. Like something that is eternal, not eternal, mm. but like the last and that matters to all kinds of different people in different generations. Um, like that's successful to me, something, something like that. Mm. That's what I want to make. So, so that would be my argument to these institutions is like, um, if you're focused on creating an artist that's, that gets those first things, like a lot of money and a lot of popularity and a lot of power, then continue, continue doing what you're doing. Cause that's, you know, that's what your curriculum is designed to produce. But if you, if you want to create artists, um, they make those pieces, right? There's not a lot of, you go to the museums and there's a lot of fantastic work, but there are like, there's just a select few. There's a couple that, that change you, right? That are mm -hmm. transforming, transforming pieces of art. They're just paintings. It's just mud on a canvas, but they, they're so powerful. So like otherworldly, so magical almost. So if you want to create artists, if you want to help artists get to that point, then you've got to teach them about their craft. You've got to. So what do you think makes an artwork, you know, a classic, a timeless object, something that has inherent meaning? Um, it's effect on the viewer, I would say. Mm. And, and I, would, I would classify it. If you're going to do a scientific study on what's the most classic artworks like what um, and not, and the effect I would say for a classic has to, it has to build in my, in my opinion, like it's got to lift a little bit. It can't just, um, I don't, I don't think a classic would be an artwork that depresses or that demoralizes or that makes you feel like that's just, that's just based solely on debunking the current tradition of art, right? Like the, the urinal hanging on the wall or the can of poop or whatever like that, that kind of stuff doesn't lift the viewer. And if you're going to do a scientific study on, on art and what's the most, the most enduring and the classic and the best art, I would take a sample of all kinds of different people from all kinds of socioeconomic situations. And I'd stick them in front of a painting and I'd say, how did that painting make you feel? And most of modern art right now, that's extremely highly valued and right. That's at the top of the modern art heap. I think, I think most of the people that looked at that piece, especially people who haven't been instructed as to what current art should be. Right. Um, I think most of the people that looked at that would just feel confused and they'd feel dumb. They'd feel like, uh, I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm supposed to like it. I think I'm probably supposed to feel something, but I don't get it, right? And so in my opinion, it fails miserably as the thing that communicates. And if it does communicate, it's usually because of the huge art statement on to the right of the painting, right? 
Mm-hmm. And you see, you see the people at the museum with their face in that sucker. <laughs> like there's the painting. Like you see <laughs> Holy cow. Look at the flipping painting. Or they've got their earbuds on and they're trying to like, they're not even looking at it. They're just like trying to listen to some other educated person, tell them why it's amazing. So it fails for me. It fails. Like music communicates without us trying to explain what it means. And books communicate without us having like an additional, oh, this is what it should actually mean to you. Mm. So, so why the heck is a painting like entered? It's this new constellation where it's just whatever. And then you have to read the artist statement to figure out what it's supposed to make you feel like, or what Mm. the heck they're trying to accomplish. So the classics, the endurings, the ones that work are the ones that you stick a hundred people from a million different backgrounds in front of, and they all go, wow mm. <laughs> right and it 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 changes them it matters to them it communicates to them it works like that's a classic to me i love that i love that i'm gonna i'm gonna continue mildly playing devil's advocate because i think it's interesting for the viewers and for the listeners so right. when you say when you say lift when you say the word lift and artwork has to lift us you mm. wouldn't dispute the fact that there are many classic paintings who are pretty depressive, you know, like just, just right. for example, like Jericho's Raft of Medusa, okay? We're thinking about mm-hmm. paintings right. about tragedy and death or Goya's black paintings, these kinds of classics that you, you go to, you, you see them, and then you, you come out feeling pretty, pretty down on yourself. Would you say that these works mm. still have the ability to lift us in a perhaps not so self-evident way? Right, I hope so. Kind of like... kind of similar to uh to tolstoy's work to the russians right mm. a lot of the russian a lot of the russian classics are a little bit of downers like in the actual novel themselves but there there are parts in there that make you feel like there's more like like the character could be redeemed like something could change and and it ends with you not wanting to go out and kill yourself at least i don't want to kill myself after reading those i i feel like okay they made the Like I participated in a bunch of mistakes with the protagonist, and I want to do better myself, right? And so some of those the raft of Medusa and stuff like that, some of those paintings, they're commentaries on the hard that is in life. Like that's fine. that's that's okay to talk about that. But there's a way to paint it um, that can help a person want more, that can help a person go, yuck. Like, let's try to lift humanity out of this situation. And there's a way to paint it that just goes, life sucks. This is the worst. It's all over. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the difference. I would say it's mm. not that you can't, you can't paint dark paint. It's not that that's banned. Like, uh-uh, you can't talk about hard things. It's just that I think the art has a responsibility mm. to, to maybe point to like, A better way to say something about about hard stuff that gives you like a little bit of hope as well somehow I love that so much and I think to me there is there's a beauty in in painting something tragic because it has an inherent contradiction in it you tell me what you think so essentially mm-hmm. if we look at Jericho's raft of Medusa what we have is like an enormous enormous painting like three meters high or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's depicting in it in the most grand sense the tragedy of being alive. And 
there's a conflict here because if being alive is so tragic, why are you spending all this time painting this enormous composition, three meters high? Like everything in this painting is telling us that despair is warranted, but everything about the way that this painting was created tells us that there is still something to cling to. Like life is still mm. worth living because the proof of that is the existence of the painting. And that's mm. the kind of way out that is not provided for us in Duchamp's work, despite the fact that I, I, I slightly appreciate Duchamp, but that's a different conversation. But in this, right. in, this, in this ready-made tradition or the contemporary art tradition where it's, you know, it's easy to illuminate the cynical and the painful and the, and the dreadful, right. but where's the, where's the contrast? You know, art is about contrast for me, like light versus dark, textured versus smooth. So also like tragic mm. subject matter versus ap- like evident ambition and hope that is required in order to produce an enormous scale of work. So to me, that, right. that almost touches on the kind of philosophy of, uh, of Edmund Burke when he talks about the sublime. When he talks about the sublime, he says, in order to really be elevated, you have to be a little scared. You have to be um, aware of your mortality. Once a person is aware that life doesn't last forever and that we have a limited time to live, this fear evokes in us uh, a desire to make, to want to make the most out of life, right? So mm. there's, there's some, there's some ability yeah. to take, to take the terrible and convert it through art or through, um, how would you say, articulate expression of any means uh, right. and, 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 and turn it into something that makes you want to say, okay, I got to live a better life. Now, having seen this terrible painting, I want to live a better life. There's something about contemporary art that is so cynical that when you look at it, you say, I don't, I don't want to go to a museum again. I just feel alienated. You know life's, what I mean? Life's the worst. Yeah, that's how, Yeah, exactly. And I love that thought. That's a really beautiful thought that part, part of the hope that might be in that painting was just from the artists, mm. like the amazing amount of work and craftsmanship that he put into this thing that mattered to him. Right. I love that, mm-hmm. that that's part of the redeeming quality of it. And that Duchamp's urinal, like it wasn't, he didn't do anything. Right. He hardly even thought about it. It's, it just, um, so there's none of that even to redeem it. It's a very depressing idea. Right. A real, a real downer. And then there's nothing about it that lets you go. You just go away going, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, so there's no art, nor is there points to art. Nothing having, matters. Like nothing, yeah. nothing matters. Exactly. And it's like, I don't, I don't even think that it ends with him making that painting and that painting mattered to him. It, that, that painting mattered to him, despite the fact that he knew of all the dread, like all the dread that exists in the painting must have existed in his mind for him to be able to put it on the canvas. And despite right. the fact that he knew it and felt it so profoundly, he still did it. He still right. got up in the morning and 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 put those strokes onto Worked the canvas for up. years. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's cool. It's a good thought. Yeah, I wanted to ask you again. Uh, I'm I'm gonna be a little provocative. So we were talking about the responses that people people get when they are confronted with the work on the one right. hand you know they're they're in front of some kind of masterpiece they're in front of a body celli everybody swoons everybody loves it and then they're in front of duchamp people get a little confused or in yeah. front of Saitwambli, people get a little confused or more than a little confused but also people like perhaps you less so but pe- people of, of of our elk sometimes when we put up paintings in the gallery we get something like 
I don't get the message here. Why wouldn't he just take a photograph of this forest or this? Like, why would anybody spend time doing any of that? Like, this has no message. I have nothing to go home with. This is just a tree. Why? Mm, right. Why? Why is that wrong? Why? Why? Why don't they deserve yeah. a deeper political message as opposed to getting images that they have? You know, their phone can make these images, quote unquote. Right. Well, and so that brings it's I'm glad you went there because like the saying the art should instruct or the art should edify is an interesting there's there's kind of a delicate line and I have pretty strong opinions about everything actually, but about this as well. Um so there's a difference between a a real work of art, like and let's go back to let's go back to literature. Um, edification is something it's a word that I really like and I think that art should edify and it's what we've been talking about doesn't mean it has to be happy all the time it means it has to like even if it's extremely subtly it, it has to the best art makes you hope a little bit or want to be a little bit better or try a little harder live better love more right um, but how does it go about that then right And so if we go to literature, um, you could write a huge, long, nasty, boring essay on, on how to be a better person and nobody is going to ever want to read it. Or you could write a like a really subtle allegory, or you could write a poem that's like just hints, just like just subtle little whispers um, that allows the viewer to participate more, right? And it's the difference between sitting in a class and being lectured at and and how you feel when you read a really really beautiful poem and it's so it's so subtle and it's the ideas are so delicately stated so carefully stated so hinted at that that as a reader of of the best poetry you feel like you came up with the poem yourself mm-hmm. you feel you feel almost that moment of creative you feel like you were the one who thought of that amazing metaphor And it means so much to you because you do it. Um, and I think art, the greatest art is the same that um, in instructing and in edifying, um, if, a, if a painting gives you everything, it becomes an essay mm-hmm. and really, really, really boring, right? Like, I don't like to look at essay paintings, um, like when every little hair, every little peach fuzz, when... And it's everywhere from corner to corner. It's all there. Um, there's just, there's no room for me as the viewer. There's, there's just nothing, right? So I just don't have time for paintings like that. Um, so I adore, I'm drawn to, and I love suggestion in painting. I love subtlety. I love leaving as much out as you possibly can, like only saying as much as is absolutely necessary. I love pushing towards poetry but it's still got it edified you know what i mean it's like it can't be because it could you could argue that the urinal we i keep going back to the urinal or the can of poop that that's very metaphorical allegorical that that's very subtle and that there's so much meaning deep in there but i don't anyway i don't <laughs> think so it's 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 a wide spectrum you've got that on this side then you've got super tight like religious like this is exactly what's happening and you should learn this from this painting paintings. 
and there's this happy place in the middle mm. where where there's poet poetry and painting wow there's so there's so more there's so many threads that I want to pull on, especially the stab at hyperrealism, but first perhaps because uh because <laughs> we know. mean because we No, no, we should, and we're, 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 we should, and we're going to. Um, but first, because we, we aim to educate, perhaps to the people who go to museums or who go to galleries and are confronted with, let's say, naturalistic painting of the kind that you and I appreciate, and they still mm. think, I don't, I don't get it. Like, this looks to me like a photo. How do we explain to them um, where the poetry lies. What would you suggest that they, mm. if they could take 10 minutes to look at a painting, how mm. could we uh, bring them in to the world that we inhabit so that they can derive as much pleasure from these images as you and I do? Um, and I think the answer to that is that there's not a quick way. And that's kind of the, that's the beauty about art, right? Mm. Um, it's similar to, to pop music and to classical music. Um, play, play a pop song, like a really catchy pop song to any human of any age, and they'll go, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> I, could get, I could get into that, right? And play classical, extremely complex, beautiful classical music to them. And there's not going to be as many that go, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, um, well, it's nice, but I'm just not quite, I, I don't quite get it. It just takes time. takes exposure it takes education right and so being an art appreciator um like a person who consumes art i guess is is um, it's a thing of the past but i'm hoping that it comes back mm. and that's that's going to take a lot of education in the past that's what they had that's what that was their movie right mm. so everybody went to the shows everybody went to the museums and they learned You have, to, you have to learn what it takes to make a painting. That's why you and I can go to a museum and just be so lifted by the stuff because we can be this close to it and just enjoying a subtle glaze. Like a teeny little passage of paint can make our day, right? Like, but if you've never looked at a painting and you just have no clue as to what it takes to make something like that, it can be much more daunting or incomprehensible and they can be like, mm. I don't get it. I mean, it just looks like a painting. So... So if I was with someone like that in a museum and I had 10 minutes, I'd, I'd begin to explain about color and value and design. And I'd try to tell them, like, this is what makes this so masterful and beautiful to me. But as far as them really appreciating it, it they'd have to get on that train and take that journey. Like, and mm. it's, a, it's a joyous journey, though. It's the same type of journey that we take as artists as we learn to see the world. Because when I first looked out my window at, at the mountains and the sunset, I was like, yeah, that's beautiful, right? And 15, 15 years later, it's so much more beautiful to me because I see so much more clearly. And I anticipate that in 15 years, it's going to be 15 years more beautiful to me. There's mm -hmm. still a lot that I don't see. And so you basically would have to just take that person, stand them in front of the painting and say, listen, you're at the very bottom of a very tall ladder. And it's a beautiful ladder to climb. And there's so much joy to be had as you learn to see. But if you want to really appreciate, if you want to really understand this, like it's going to take a lot of looking and a lot of time, you're going to have to be committed to it. But it's, it's an addicting journey too. So 
it's not like it's work. It's not like you have to go stuck. You know, it's, it's fun, mm. but it's a journey, I guess. I love that. I love that. I want to add my two cents on it. There's something that I sometimes say to people, which uh, helps them come over to our side a, a little bit. And, and it's actually trying to explain to people that it's, it's not that the photograph that we we're all used to seeing life through, through the lens of photography, everything we get is we get it through screens, we get it through posters. So we we're used to seeing life as if a photograph is a loyal and faithful representation of what's in front of us. But in fact, it's very, very far from it, very, very far from it. And the best example that I can give is we all kind of had this experience once or twice where we want to take a picture of our friend with the sunset behind him and, and what's going on in our field of vision is so beautiful and so magical. And then you try to take the photo and what you get is a silhouette. You get a right. silhouette and you're very frustrated and you think, wait, what? Like, that's nothing like what I'm seeing. And right. so there is this misconception that the camera is a faithful representation of what we see. But in fact, when you go down this journey, you understand what we see, aka life, is way too rich for anything, uh, any, any, any technology, any painter, anybody to capture all the stuff that's there in all of its richness and all of its complexity. So, so decisions have to be made. Editing has to be made. Editing is done by the camera, regardless of whether or not people are aware of it or not. Uh, yeah. And it's like, I'm citing the, the silhouette example, you know, in real life, you don't see your friend as a shadow, you see their facial features and all the beautiful colors in there, but the camera can't capture it. The camera has limitations. And the camera imposes a kind of arbitrary aesthetic onto life. And mm. the aesthetic that we bring to bear onto life when we paint from life is a completely different aesthetic and one that represents our own decisions with regards to what we think we want to take out of life, what we think are the most important things to put in. And if we were to paint that friend in front of the sunset, we can pretty much guarantee that that silhouette will be less disappointing because we mm. have our priorities, our human priorities, which are very different from a mechanical priority um, of a photograph. I don't know if that makes sense. To you. Yeah, no, great. Yeah, it's a great example. I love it. So maybe this could lead us naturally into the into the infamous discussion around painting from photography. What's your take on it? Mm. Um, so I actually I use photography a lot, um, but I never just use it as is because it's never good enough, like you said. Um, so as I've painted from life and learned to see uh, more clearly. Um, it's, it's my memory has expanded my visual memory and like, I become increasingly better able to take a bad photograph and fix it. Right. Mm. And as, as, as many editing, uh, applications and all the software and all the, all the technology that we have to change a photograph and make it better, um, it still doesn't, a photograph still never, as much as I change it and much as I fix it, um, it's still never going to be as rich, like you said, as the actual thing. Um, but it, it affords an artist an opportunity, I think, to paint from memory a little bit more, to like use what they've experienced outside. And so, so my take on photography and painting from life is that 
uh, it's a fantastic tool. It's a wonderful tool and it can really help, but it can never replace uh, the amazing, amazing education that you see from studying nature directly. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's an absolute essential. It's something that should never be compromised, something that an artist should treat himself to because it's a treat, right? Mm. It's so amazing. And nothing, nothing can teach you about beauty like nature, like the source of beauty. Um, so, yeah, I use photographs a lot, but it's just a lot of changing. I just never. And, do you know, there's an interesting I have this kind of, I'm surprised at it in myself, honestly, is that (laughs) you would think that, because painting from nature, painting from life is daunting. There's so much, so much. Like you said, there has to be so much editing and so much simplifying um, that when you go out for the first time and sit in front of a blank canvas with your landscape, I mean, it's almost it's, it's painful. It's very painful. (laughs) You realize, you realize really clearly just how little you are and Mm -hmm. how little, you know, but as I've done it more and more, I have this really strange kind of paradox right now where I have a huge amount of confidence painting from life. And it's not because I'm awesome or because like I can do, I can paint everything. I still uh, I have so much to learn and so far to go in my ability to see, comprehend beauty and put it on my canvas. But that confidence comes from the connection of me to nature. Like I see the color and I see the value the way that it is. And I have this sense of like, well, there it is. I can paint it because I can see it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. Even if I do a stinker of a painting, like I have this sense of, well, it's just right there. All I got to do is just, you know, like get that value and it'll look that beautiful. Um, when I paint from photos, I don't have that and I miss it a lot. And when I paint from a photo, I have this sense of, I know that it's not right. That value can't be right. It's a little bit darker, probably a little lighter, probably a little brown. Like, you know, I just have this like sense of, uh, ah, ah, maybe it's like this. And it's, it's a lot of me working from memory. A lot of me working from just how I feel, what feels right and what doesn't feel right. But anyway, so photographs are great and stuff, but I don't, at least for myself, I, I can't trust them. And so there's this sense of uncertainty and of kind of like timidity and fear when I work solely from photographs Mm. and then sense of confidence and truth. And like, it's all good when I work from life. So anyway, I relate so full heartedly, you know, and I mean, actually, no, with, with one caveat, I don't like painting from photographs. So whenever, (laughs) whenever I can avoid it, I do. Um, But I think this, this leads us to our, casual and 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 minor segue into uh stabbing at hyperrealism i think that's that's to me what they do wrong i mean they they follow photographs so closely uh that to me it doesn't look like life anymore it really doesn't look anything like life when we 
see a photorealistic painting of like a motorcycle, which is something we see a lot. And then in the uh, metallic chrome, you see the reflection of all the street and the reflection of this, you know, the people walking around and the sidewalk and all that stuff. When we look at life and we look at a beautiful motorcycle, that's not what yeah. makes the motorcycle beautiful. That's not what makes right. the motorcycle beautiful. And, and, and what comes to mind when I, when I see that is something similar to comparing the experience of looking at the moon and being just completely dazzled by the beauty of the moon. Compare that mm. to a scan that NASA makes of the moon where you see all the craters like right. super clearly. When you see that kind of thing, it just becomes like a crime scene or a document. Here are all the craters on the moon. But what is the right. real, where is the real beauty of the moon? You know, it's very difficult right. to ascertain where beauty lies Uh, because when we look at the moon, it looks very, very different from the scan. When we look at the beautiful motorcycle, it looks very different from the hyper-realist representation of the motorcycle. So right. I think the most important thing uh, that I could tell people who paint from photographs is to ask themselves this very difficult question, like, where does the beauty lie, right? The beauty doesn't lie in the object. The beauty is not in the moon. The beauty is not in yeah. the motorcycle. The beauty... Is elsewhere because this same object could be represented uh, through various different medias and 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 appear beautiful here and to totally uh, a total bummer uh, in another representation of the same object so when we understand right. that the beauty is not even in the mountain the beauty is not even in the cloud uh, so I, I, I that's where I take slight slight issue with with saying that the beauty is in nature I think the beauty is 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 nowhere in those objects per se but rather and really? I think you I think yeah I think you put it beautifully the way that we relate to them you in yeah. front of nature creates beauty because right. of your attention span because you can look at that mountain uh, through the prism that is sensitive to beauty right it's almost like when you first start out playing music and your 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 senses become sharper and sharper. And then suddenly you can hear the instruments separately in a track. It's like, oh, this is what the bass does. Oh, this is what the piano does, where most people are not sensitive to that. And you could, you could tell them, oh, here's what I love about this song. Like, check out what the bass does right here. And they're like, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking to me about. So essentially there is, there is, there is beauty. I think beauty is almost always a function of, of attention, a function of, of somebody mm -hmm being present at, at some point and seeing some kind of relationship that when, when, when brought together produces, um, beauty. Right. That's, you know, I like that thought a lot. Um, I do think that beauty is still in those things, mm. but, that it, but that it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter until it's received. It's like, yeah, a gift that is given and never opened never is it never becomes a gift right even mm. though all all the pieces are there someone's just got to pick it up so um, i you, think that's oh, that's similar yeah i think that's similar to beauty like it's there it's just waiting for us to receive it mm. so when you are you're describing a scenario where you would be out there in the landscape uh completely overwhelmed by the by the beauty of nature and having a lot of fun that that's something that i totally relate to And then yeah. we all know that if you, you took a photo of that same mountain, took it to the right. studio, it would be a completely different experience, doesn't contain all the majesty of, of, of nature. 
and mm-hmm. you have a lot of of memory uh, and experience painting from life but to those of us who don't are there any bits of advice that you could give them people who are you know mostly painting from photographs can't go out into the landscape maybe they live in New York you know they want to paint right. a mountain right. but they're but they're my neighbors right so what right. Are, what is there anything that you can kind of advise them when they when they really have this passion for painting things that are not around them and they want to make those photographs more painterly or or use them as references in a, in a less banal way how could we guide them I'm and I'm glad you said that because I think it's important like I don't enjoy you said you don't enjoy painting from photos and I don't enjoy painting from photos um <laughs> yeah because there's not that like you're saying there's not that connection there's not that amazing inspiration or that truth um but a photo can be extremely helpful to help me get to the place where I want to go right because I in the in the amount of time that I have especially in landscape it is so fleeting right and it's uh like no moment ever remains ever like it happens and it's gone for eternity and so there's a billion like uncountable moments of beauty that are out there waiting for me to receive um so when i have that experience and i do that little sketch from life i never no matter how good the sketch is it captures a bit of my enthusiasm it captures a bit of my experience with beauty And it's important. And so those sketches, I think, are beautiful and matter to me. But I have this craving to go further. There's so much that I saw, right? And I can't do it there in that little sketch. So I need more. And that's what the studio is to me. Like, I have to go process. I have to go just try to make something that more fully communicates the amazing experience that I just had. And so any tool that I can use to help me get there is definitely, definitely worth checking out. Right. And the camera is an, a definite, I mean, I just, you have, I have a phone and you go, it's that easy to, to take a picture to have something that might help me later on in the studio. So the way that I use photography in the studio is to help me, Help me with details, basically. Um, I can't trust it for color. I can't trust it for value. But I can trust it to take every crack of every crater in the moon, right? Like all that stuff that might help me later on, little teeny details. I'm not going to add them all because I'm, I'm only going to add I'm gonna, only as much as absolutely necessary, right? I'm going to take mm. away as much as I can possibly take away. But I've got a billion details in the photo just in case, mm-hmm. right? So that's what a photo does for me. And when I paint from a photo in the studio, um, it's, small, it's small on my computer. And I don't zoom in and start to noodle, write an essay about the photo. I paint the same way that I paint from life. So, so that would be my recommendation, my advice on painting from photos is make them small. You can't manufacture the same kind of urgency that is net that's just there because the sun goes whoop, right like it just <laughs> there's an <laughs> there's an amazing sense of urgency and excitement from life that you can't recreate when you're painting from a photo but you have to try <laughs> hmm. so so you have to give yourself a time limit you have to just try to 
go fast or else you're going to get into the lie that is a photo, right? Mm -hmm. You'll be seduced by, be seduced by the lie that is a photo and you'll get in and start doing this and you'll, you'll make something that is a step away from truth, right? With this big photo as a barrier between you and reality and it, the, the painting will suffer because of it. So paint quickly. You just can't trust the photo. I turn them black and white sometimes. Wow. So, so that I'm not seduced by color and incorrect color and incorrect values. Um, anyway, so that's a bit of the other thing I would say to someone who's in New York, say, and they want to paint mountains desperately is don't paint mountains. You don't, yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't know enough about mountains to paint mountains. If you want to move mountains, then move to Colorado or Utah and look at mountains and paint mountains and tell us truth about mountains that you learn as you look at them. Right. Mm. Um, like that's a bad choice. If you live in New York, New York's beautiful. Like I want to paint New York. Every time I go to New York, I've done a couple paintings, cityscapes of like when I've gone there and I've walked the streets and I've, just been blown away by the color and the people everywhere and the gorgeousness of it. If I lived in New York, I'd paint New York all the time. It's gorgeous. Just look out your window, paint it. Or you don't even have to look out your window. Just sit in your living room and paint the way the sunlight hits the, the wall. It's fantastic. Like, <laughs> I love it. It's like a dream come true. Reality is a dream come true. So don't, uh, yeah, you don't have to... You don't have to ever paint from photos. And even if you like have a living that relies upon you painting mountains and you live in New York, you should still spend an hour, two hours every day painting out your window so that you can learn about true light and true color and true value. Amazing. Well, first of all, if you if you ever come to paint New York, you should hit me up. I'll I'll join you. I'll be I'll be very excited to do to do that with you. I love it. Um, yeah, it's so good. And my, my question to you is, and I, I recognize that this is a difficult one, you say you look at the photo and you try not to get seduced and you assume that the colors and the values are wrong. Your right. colors and your values are spectacular. Where do they come from? How do you, once you, we all assume, okay, we're not going to be seduced. We're not going to take the photograph for granted. How do you come up with your colors and your values uh, and make them look so delicious? So I'll just take you in here and I'll show you, I'll give you like a little, I'll show you my little wall of sketches. Does this thing turn a second? There you go. Um, these are, Oh goodness me. To those of us just listening, I, I, I'm going to try yeah. to describe what I'm seeing. There are, it looks like hundreds of tiny little sketches, the size of maybe a postcard or less. And they are all, oh my goodness, there are so many of them. Okay, this just means that this yeah. is an episode that I have to put on YouTube. Okay, so yes. unbelievable. And that's like, that's a really small sampling of them. Um, but that's what I do from life. And I've actually, I mean, this changes and I change the longer I paint and the longer I am alive. But my process to this point has been to take notes from life, color and value notes. Um, I find that finishing from life in the landscape is very, uh, <laughs> it's insane, actually. 
And what turns out happening is that you spend two hours, three hours in your painting and occasionally you glance up (laughs) because you're so busy. Because you've got so much to do, right? Like this is a huge thing. And I teach workshops all the time and people are in there just for hours in here. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why are you outside if you're going to do that? You know, you can do that in the studio, not looking at anything. Um, So I found that one of the most effective ways to capture value in color outside is to work very, very small, very, very quickly. Mm, so if I if I could package that as as uh, as a sentence one sentence advice uh, and correct me if I'm wrong you you would suggest making quick small sketches from life and then not selling them keeping them in the studio so that later you can say oh man this photograph's a total bummer but hey I got this other sketch that has really nice colors and really nice conclusions I can actually import you know I can take Pull from knowledge that. yeah I can take I can pull from from the from these uh, sketches that I've done on the spot and, and use those conclusions in my more finished work. Would that be accurate? Yes, yes. And so that's what I was talking about, where you turn the photo black and white, you take your little sketch from life, and that's what you use to create the studio piece. Mm. Um, but that's like, as a full confession, that's been, it's still difficult. It's still been difficult. Um, and many times I've had my, photo and I've had my little sketch from life and I've had my painting and I end up like chasing the photo more than I chase my sketch. Right. Mm. Like it's a hard thing to do. So I feel like, I mean, I keep trying, keep trying to like create the energy and the joy and the, the uh, unity that happens in that little piece on a large scale and a more finished in a more, um, And a lot, my studio work is a lot of this, is like pushing towards um, like a more refined, a more uh, uh, complex statement, I guess, because nature is so complex. I'm trying to find ways in my studio work um, to rejoice in that amazing infinite variety in nature, that amazing complexity. Um, and I'm still trying to figure it out for me. That's like what my artistic journey is about. Cause I could spend my whole life doing sketches from life. I could sell them. I could make a living. It would be very happy for me. I love doing that, but like I crave something more. I want it so bad. I found it in like Emil Carlson, for example, um, in a surface that's variety is so intense that it, seems to rival nature mm-hmm. right but when i'm in front of it in the museum i'm just like i get the same sort of high that i get experiencing that painting as i get from experiencing reality which is insane mm-hmm. that that can happen but anyway i want that and so that's why i come into the studio and that's why i'm going through this battle and the struggle of of trying to figure it out mm. um but I guess the, the one thing I was going to say about the sketches too is even, even if it is hard and it truly is to trust your sketch more than it is to trust the photo that you take, what I've gained from thousands and thousands of teeny little sketches from life is like an imprint. Um, in the process of making that thing, 
I think it's, it's changing me. It's changing my brain so that when I actually go to paint a photo, I, I make choices now that are based upon sort of almost the subconscious thing that happens in creating all those thousands of studies from life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Does that make any sense? Oh, <laughs> totally. Totally. It makes total sense. And I'm, I'm also, I'm also happy that you referenced the magical feeling of, of looking at a very successful painting because those, that, that would be my two cents on it. Uh, and goes to my, my personal hobby horse, which is master copies, which is, mm. I would say that would be my answer. Cause I also am forced sometimes to paint from photographs when there's, when there's a commission and the, the person won't sit for me for as long as I want them to sit for me. And I have ambitions about the painting and, and I know where, where I want it to go and, and it can't go there in such a short amount of time. So I'm forced to work from photography, but I supplement heavily by working from art history. If mm. there's something about that figure that, you know, I find compelling, I would immediately kind of scroll back in my, in my mind to, to all the, to all the, um, to all the possibilities that I have, all the things that I've seen throughout art history that excite me. And then next to that photograph, if I, if I display it on the screen and I'm working with it, there's always like three or four paintings larger, larger than the mm. photograph. Uh, and I know, right. okay, so this, the photograph, what it provides me, I wouldn't, you, you said it provides you the details. What I think it provides me is the shapes, just the shapes. I get the shape of the shirt or the shape of the shadow on the pants or whatever it is, but nothing right. else. If I, if I have to pick colors, I go to my favorite painters. I go to Ang, I go to Rembrandt, mm -hmm. I go to Jacques-Louis David, I go, I go to Velasquez, yeah. I go to my, I go to my heroes And I ask them for help. I'm like, Velasquez, I don't want to make it boring like this photograph. Help me out here. Like, how would you right. mix those colors? And so yeah. this, is, this is not to suggest to people not to go out there and make thousands of, of sketches from life. You should. I just also suggest that you should make thousands of master copies because that also is, uh, at least for me, that has been a lifesaver because before, before I understood that I could really trust and count on my heroes to help me when I need them working from photography was was an absolute tragedy like again and again and again I would make paintings that mm. just are so unsatisfying uh so art history's got your back people is what I'm trying to say yeah that's that's great advice and I liked what you said too about the photos because that's that more accurately expresses how I feel about them they don't give me details they give me shapes they give me drawing mm-hmm That's what a photo does because I don't have time in 10 minutes while the light changes to draw that mountain. So I never worry about that. Like, and you'll see in my sketches that when I, you know, sometimes occasionally I'll be like, this is what I'm painting. And this is my painting. And there's this mountain that's like this and my mountains like this, <laughs> like every time. Cause I'm like, listen, I don't, I'm not here to draw. Like I can draw for 10 years from this one photo there's so much shape perfect shape that's what a camera does it gets mm -hmm. shaped yeah. yeah oh i love i love i love that we agree on that because even this this painting that's behind me this painting in process that's still kind of an underpainting when i was working mm -hmm. with the model i did i did a color sketch 
and the color sketch looked nothing like her, not even a little bit, uh, because it was really small. And what I was trying to get, I was trying to get the color relationships and get an idea about the color. And I and I told her like, don't don't worry, we'll we'll figure out the likeness. Like this is this is gonna happen. The likeness I can definitely capture from a from a photograph, but I most certainly cannot get the colors from the photograph. So while I have you here. I'm going to focus on what's absolutely necessary to draw from life, which is the color relationships and everything that has to right. do with, with design, with shapes. You know, the, pho- the photograph is, uh, is going to provide that in an adequate way. I, I don't that. So I don't I don't really feel so stressed as. Uh, yeah, uh, as I should, you know, um, what okay. if you could look for a minute on the inside of our, you could say, trend, like the contemporary realism trend or, or however, however we choose to define it. Are there things in that stream that you would like to see more of when you, when you look at the people around us? I'm sure we're, I mean, it sounds to me like you, you observe art very critically as, as, as I do. And there, I, I have ambitions from my own work, but I also have ambitions Uh, with regards to what's going to happen when people write about whatever happens today in hard history, like what 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 do you think we need to say with our work, or where do we should where should we go? Um, boy, yeah, that is a good question. I wish that we had more of a like a salon, like a contemporary version of the the old salon. Um, And I wish that it was more universal. I wish that it was on ABC News at night. Like, um, I wish that art was more mainstream. Paintings mm-hmm. were more mainstream. I think there's so much vying for our attention right now that I don't, I don't see it actually happening. But mm-hmm. as an artist, I want, I, want, uh, I want people, normal people, to care more about paintings. I want them to have the joy that's available and waiting for them in a painting, but that so many are unwilling to receive. And, and I would even say that so many don't have an opportunity to receive because you be into art, love art, take art all through high school. You become a dentist or something and you go to the, you go to the museums. Well, actually you'd have, you have to be kind of, because you can find great art. There are museums with fantastic art, just pure joy all over the world. But we have a large number of state-sponsored or nationally-sponsored museums that are full of the confusing and the empty, right? And so even if people are interested in art and they want to have that experience, and they, then they go to the art museum and they go, oh, wow. So this is it. Uh, this is what I've got. And then they give up. Mm. So I, I just wish that it was more, I wish that museums were full of the, I wish that I could curate all our museums. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the, very fine, the very finest that have ever been produced. I wish that's what it was at museums because people would go and they would, feel something and they would be addicted to art and art would be more of a thing that we talk about and it'd be more of a thing that we experience collectively rather than this tiny niche of artists and collectors that we have currently so i wish that something like that could happen in mm. in our time but well, i don't see it happening 
I'll be on the lookout for for the for the call where where I can nominate you to curate all of the museums. I'll, I'll be very I'll be very happy to to, to submit my recommendation. That sounds like a great future. I think we can end on asking what would you say is your artistic dream? Like looking looking if you were, for example, in in your old age looking back at your career, what is some kind of accomplishment that you really, really want to hit? Um, so there have been we've kind of hinted at it throughout the the conversation we've had that there have been a couple paintings. Uh, one was Franz Schwartz. Uh, Agony in Gethsemane, it's a painting of Christ. One was Emil Carlson, it was a seascape that he had in an exhibit with Clyde Aspavig up in Billings, Montana. Um, I'm trying to think of some, well, Sargent's uh, hermit painting in the Met, you know, the deer, that little guy. Oh, man. There, anyway, there's, there have been a couple paintings, several. Um, that have that have been transforming to me right that have i think gone beyond just good painting and gone beyond great painting and and blessed me in a way that only a painting could change me in a way that only a painting could like just been amazing Like a very, very powerful special experience just to stand in front of that painting, right? So I know that that's something that art can do. I know that it's something it's capable of. And I want desperately, I want so bad to make something someday that does that for someone. Like that's what I want. That's why I paint. <laughs> amazing. Um, and it's hard. Like it's so hard. I'm going to work my whole life to do it. And I hope it happens. Like I have faith that it will happen. Um, but I think it's going to happen in spite of myself. Right. Mm. Almost like we talked about earlier, how beauty comes through a mountain and through a cloud and connects with us. It's not, it's not necessarily that the cloud is beauty. It's a mm. thing that comes through and it's a thing that we respond to. And then that thing happens that we call beauty. I think it's similar with me is that I've got to get to a place where beauty can come through me to someone else and getting there is, is the journey. Like that's, I'm, I'm working my tail off, but that's that in and of itself is not sufficient. Like there's a lot more that plays into making that happen. And most of it has to do with our motives. Mm. Um, I think, Uh, my belief is that like an artist has to be in a place where it's not about him getting famous and it's not about him making a billion dollars on his formaldehyde cow and it's not about getting acquired by the museum it's not about any of that it's like a pure selfless desire based entirely in love of of his fellow man to make something that that's really, really going to bless them, right? Like somehow I've got to get to that place. So my skills have got to get to a level I've got to acquire. I've got to learn tons, get tons of knowledge from my experience with nature. And then I've got to get myself in the right place to where that can happen. But that's, that's what I want desperately as an artist. That's why I paint every day. That is emotional and inspiring. I'm, I'm almost tearing up. 
Josh, this was amazing. Could you let us know where uh, people can find you, find more about your work? Yeah, just joshclare.com or at jclareart is my Instagram tag. Brilliant. Josh, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. You're a fun guy to talk to. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to see it grow, please take a moment to subscribe, rate it highly, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show and have access to exclusive content, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash kengoshen. For online lessons, please visit kengoshen.com slash lessons. Thanks again, and see you next time.